All right. So as is our custom here at Riverbend, would you please stand to your feet as we read the scripture? I'm going to begin with uh, something that if you're new, this might um, strike you as odd, and I apologize. My goal is not to make you feel uncomfortable, but um, one of the things we periodically like to do is to just give a little bit of space and time for quiet because our lives are so busy and often our minds are so frantic. And not only do we want to talk to the Lord in prayer and receive from him today, we also just want to hear his voice. So I'm going to give us, I don't know, 20 or so seconds, and we're just going to be quiet before him. Holy Spirit, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your gates, or lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and find your seat. Okay, uh, you made it uh, to week one of our brand new fall vision series. And what I hope will be a defining moment in the life of our church, and I hope it will also be a defining moment for you as a follower of Jesus. Whether you are new or undecided about Jesus, or you would consider yourself a mature follower, I hope this series really does deepen your faith in him. And we're calling this series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray which as I'm sure some of you are aware, is a direct quote from the original disciples when Jesus walked the earth from Luke chapter 11. And we are a part of that same interconnected family going all the way back to the first century. We're part of that same family, that same tribe that is learning from him his way. So before I launch into today's text and kind of unpack what this series is going to be like for us, I just want to give you some of the basic details. So this series is going to be 11 weeks long. It's going to take us right up to Advent or the Christmas season. And every teaching will end with a practice, which is just something for you to try and to incorporate into your daily life. Things like silence, what we just did. And things like listening and Lectio Divina and many more things like that. So come ready to sort of take notes and to take action for the following week. 
Um, this series is also basically two parts, two parts. The first part, part one, is all about you like establishing your daily prayer rhythm and developing your daily prayer rhythm. And then we're also going to be talking about how all of that connects us together in the community of the Spirit and everything else. This, that's really good. Part two is about reconnecting prayer and mission in the Bible as like two sides of the same coin, how they both lead to and fuel each other. So during this part, we're going to be talking about how God wants to form you or to transform you into be the answer to your very prayers for the coming reign of God's peace. That part's going to mess you up in the best way possible. <laughs> Two other super quick, quick things before we launch in. If you're not already following us on Instagram, please do that uh, because we're going to be sharing with you some of the books and the study resources that I'm using uh, throughout the series. And there's tons of inspiration there. It's out there that will help you sort of think deeply and think clearly about prayer and prayer on mission. And if you're not on Instagram, like I'm not on Instagram, then you could just come up to me IRL in real life and just ask me. We can talk. We can also have a face-to-face. -face. Did you know you can still do that? You can still talk to other human beings face-to-face. -face. It's good. Last disclaimer. Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, it, it builds on this series that we did back in 2021 called Come Holy Spirit. You guys remember that series, those of you who are here? Yeah, um, this is one of my favorite series we've ever done as a church. And um, we won't have time to recap those themes and scriptures that we talked about back then in these next 11 weeks, but we're going to be constantly like referring back and referencing to the Holy Spirit and his activity in our lives. So if you weren't around in those days or if you need a refresher, we've got you covered. This is the age of the internet. You know that, right? You could, we have an archive of podcasts that you can go back and listen to. We also have a lot of those teachings on YouTube, which if you want our take on the Holy Spirit and his power, that's a really place, great place to get it. Um, but by the way, like having messages on YouTube and on a podcast feed is also my personal nightmare because anything dumb I've ever said can be pulled up and downloaded and re-listened to. And when, like, think about it, like when you mess up at work, it's like, yeah, there might be consequences, but it's not going to be like re-downloaded for years to come, right? It's, uh, it's, it's not a great feeling. But anyways, it's all there for you if you like. But, it's all there for you. All, even my, mista my mistakes are still there too. By the way, uh, if, if you, if, which I, I've done this kind of recently because I was getting ready for the message and I was like, oh yeah, we have those teachings on YouTube, right? So yeah, I, I searched Riverbend Church in YouTube and they're there. But the first hit when you search Riverbend Church on YouTube is Matthew McConaughey's church in Austin, Texas. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, they do use him a lot to get views or to, to like for Jesus or whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not judging their motives. I don't know what they're all about over there. But anyways, enough of that. Uh, back to this core concept of prayer. Our cultural imagination of prayer, I think, is, is, is often in the West, it's, it's, it's boring, it's incomplete, and in some cases, it's just plain wrong. I grew up in the church basically my whole life, and I heard all the talks on prayer, as I'm sure many of you are thinking right now. I think I've heard every possible talk you could possibly give on prayer. Why are we doing this again? Now, it's not that the talks that I heard as a kid were bad. They weren't. They were probably really good, that which I can remember. But all I can say is that I was not compelled to live a praying life. And it wasn't until I had like a deep encounter with God at age 17 that I really began praying with any kind of consistency and real passion. And I was struck by scriptures like Philippians 4, which says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need. Thank him 
for all he has done. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, which says, pray without ceasing. I was inspired by the words of Paul who wrote things like this in Colossians. Since the day that I heard about it, I have not stopped praying for you. I love that. So today, prayer in like all of its forms, along with Bible reading, I think is the most important practice in my discipleship to Jesus. And I've come to believe that while there are many other things that define your faith, generosity and care for the poor and community and being mentored and Sunday church and all of that stuff, nothing else sustains you or empowers you to become like Jesus more than your daily habit of two-way conversation with God. Nothing else will empower you to become like Jesus more than your daily two-way conversation with God. Don't worry, I plan on backing that up because I realize that's a big claim. So since that time, um, I'm getting to that age where it's not as fun to like do the math on how long it's been. But like 15 or so years since that time, uh, I have been basically trying to persuade people uh, to pray with me. From my early days on Maui, when I lived there at 19 years old, I would go out to the beach every single night, and I would just watch the sun go down, and I would pray, and sometimes successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully, I would coax some of my roommates to come with me. And my first job as a youth pastor, I remember I was at this church in Hillsboro in the suburbs of Portland, and I was like, you guys, we got to be a praying church. And everyone was like, yeah, sweet, dude, awesome, great. What do you want to do? And I'm like, early morning prayer meetings, let's do it. And it was like exclusively grandmas that came to that one. And that was incredible. It was awesome. Those, those ladies like were, like they were incredible. And by the way, this church, this church was planted because my wife and I, we were praying. And at times we were prayer walking this city, crying out to God to bring an awakening to the gospel here in Bend. And there came a point where we could no longer ignore the visions that God was giving us. And we couldn't ignore the voices of our friends and our mentors anymore. We knew that God was calling us and is calling us to be a community who is birthed in prayer, to become a house of prayer, or as I sometimes like to call, an outpost for the kingdom of God and bend. So in all of my years uh, calling people in the West to pray, I've come to realize that for many of us, we have like, there's a stark difference in our experience of what prayer is actually like. I've come to realize how underwhelmed and dissatisfied many people are with prayer. Again, our cultural imagination of prayer is at least in part broken. So at the very beginning of this year, I remember kind of reflecting on this. And I remember telling you that instead of inviting you to come to a prayer meeting, which I had shamelessly done uh, a bunch, like tons and tons of times. I, I was gonna, decided, I decided instead to like, keep having the prayer meetings and let you know that they're happening, they're happening and stuff. But my focus was changing. And so for the better part of this year, um, I haven't been trying to talk you into or convince you to join me in prayer. And I've, been, I've committed instead to pray that the Lord would like addict you to his presence. I've been praying this for you, the ones that I love, for my family, for my community, for our leaders, for our staff, for us as a community, that God would addict you to his presence like he has me. It's not a chore for me. I love to see God in prayer. It's like the favorite thing that I do every single day. It's what pulls me in. It's what keeps me going. I love it. I need it. And I want this kind of experience for you too. 
to be a people who enjoy God and enjoy his presence. That's what I want for you. Now, not everyone is going to be exactly like me. It would be a complete disaster if it turned into a thing where all of you were like me. Each of our prayer lives are going to look very, very different. For example, I was having a conversation with Danny not too many months ago, and he was you know, talking with me about how he's been feeling stuck in his prayer life. And I said, dude, you sing, you write songs, you're, you're a, a musician, like sing your prayers. And it's like the thing that's changed for him. It's made prayer far more engaging and real. So we're all going to look very different in our prayer lives, but we share a common vision. Um, so for example, this idea, uh, again, I think this is something hopefully the spirit has inspired us to do. Um, and this prayer that I've been praying, I think it's beginning to, to work and to rub off on you. I think the Lord is addicting you to his presence. Last year, I, I took my family back to Maui. I lived there for about a year and a half in, in, uh, right out of high school. And uh, I love it there. It's like my, my favorite place on planet Earth. Some of you just got back, and it's like, dang, I wish I was there. So uh, we had a great time, uh, except my whole family just loves to like lay in the sand, like Laying, like, that's what they want to do. They want to lay in the sand, which I can do for like nine minutes before I get melanoma because I'm this white. And I go insane. I can't sit still. So for me, I love to snorkel. I love to explore the reef. I love to spearfish. I love to do all of, all of that stuff. And I knew, I had a hunch that once my daughter Isabel, who's in the front row today, once, once Isabel saw her first sea turtle, I was like, oh, she'll be hooked too. She'll want to come out with me. She'll be addicted. She'll want to. So what I did was I took them to this, one of my favorite beaches called Turtle Town. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Turtle Town. And I was like, you know, I was playing it really cool and really low-key. Like, hey, hey, Isabel, you want to you wanna come out and snorkel with me? Maybe see what you see? I think you're going to like it. I think you might enjoy it. And she was not interested. She did not want to do it. Because I'm her dad, though, she was like, fine, okay, whatever. I'll come. And, sh- and so- sure enough, like as soon as we put our faces in the water, Boom, all of a sudden there's like this family of sea turtles out there. And she was a snorkel maniac from that moment on through the rest of the week. She was just like, couldn't get enough of it, hooked instantly, which was my dream come true. I loved it. I loved having a little snorkel buddy. So this is how I think it works with prayer and other meaningful things in life. Some of us are skeptical, not compelled. Our experience tells us we're not going to enjoy it. Fair enough. And by the way, if the vision for prayer is like stale coffee and praying for everyone's colds to go away and help me get a passing grade in Humanities 101, I'm with you. Count me out. I'm not interested in that at all. But the potential of prayer is to experience the living God. And the further that you swim out in, into the reef, the, the better it gets. It's like the deeper you go, the more it's like, oh my gosh, there's new depths here. There's new beauty here. There's new hope here that I didn't even know was there. And again, that's my my hope and my dream for us is that we would reclaim a compelling vision for praying in the presence of God and God's kingdom. But hang on, because... Now that we're getting into some of this good stuff, clearly you can see this is one of my passions. But a couple weeks ago, right as I was putting the finishing touches on this series, series, something really tragic happened, right? That shooting, mass shooting in Safeway, three miles from here. And it was such a devastating thing. 
you know, the horrific, violent, horrific gun violence that's sort of spread and devastated communities across our country. It came here. And should, that kind of stuff shouldn't happen anywhere, but it, but it happened in our, in our home. It happened in Bend. And so it was jarring. Senseless gun violence like this, it was jarring. It kind of upsets us as it obviously should. So we did what most churches did and what we should have done, which was to pause and to pray. And we called you to pray on, on social media. This is a time to mourn. This is a time to cry out against violence. This is a time to hope in God's renewal. And right as we and other churches were posting Pray for Bend, there was this meme. Maybe you saw it. This meme that started getting shared, circulating, going viral, about as, any, about as viral as anything from Bend can go viral. And um, I, I'll kind of clean it up for the gathering, but it basically said, we hate all of your thoughts and prayers for Bend. It's clearly, like, not working. And in the comment section of that meme that was shared hundreds of times was filled with expletives and, like, visceral disappointment and confusion about the apparent lack of God's presence in our city's moments of need. So where the hell is God in this was the sentiment. And several people I know showed me the meme. Again, I'm like a 90-year-old man or a child. I don't know what's being posted to social media. I have to be shown. Um, and so that's what happened. Many of you showed me this meme. And the natural response to the believers, the, the people of faith that showed this to me, that I, I think a lot of people felt, was that they were feeling like surprised by, by that sentiment or, or maybe offended by that sentiment or defensive about that sentiment. And I get why. I think it's alarming to see in real time how many people in our city were on that sort of bandwagon. Forget all the thoughts and prayers are clearly not working. However, my response was like, you know what? This is exactly what we would expect to see from a secular mostly sort of post-Christian culture, especially if most Christians are vaguely interested in prayer and our imagination of prayer is uninspired, secular culture is going to mock it and in times of tragedy resent it. And that's exactly what we were seeing. Personally, I don't feel like we need to defend God like Spurgeon says. You like Spurgeon, Danny. Spurgeon says, I'm convinced, you know, he's like completely capable of defending himself. He probably doesn't need to do that or doesn't need me to do that. But I did feel when I saw that, I, I, I did feel a couple of things. I, I felt compassion. I felt compassion for people who in their pain were rejecting the one who was actually capable of healing them. And there, that to me was a deep tragedy. And the second thing that I felt was like as I was reading these comments, again, littered with expletives and you know everything else, I felt like I was reading the Psalms, which I understand might be a controversial take, but hear me out. Look at Psalm 74. That's what the scripture says. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pastor? We are given no signs from God. No prophets are left. None of us knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Your right hand. 
This is just one of the many psalms that echo this same sentiment that the people of Jesus were getting from Instagram these last few weeks from the community of Ben who is hurting. Not to mention Job and Lamentations and Jeremiah and Habakkuk. See, the Bible is filled with people crying out, God, where are you? Where are you in this violence? I thought you said you were strong. It doesn't feel like it right now. The Bible is filled with that sentiment. So I don't personally get offended, and I don't think we should be offended or defensive about that. I think we need to finish the prayer. Finish the prayer. Look how each and every single one of these psalms that start that way end this way. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You were the one who broke the heads of the monsters in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened the springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. See, God is not afraid of the honest prayers of hurting people. I was talking with an amazing sister this week who lost her, hu- her husband decades too soon. And for years she's wondered why and she's cried out her honest prayers before God. And Grace and I have felt similarly as we grieved the loss of Hope and Brielle seven years ago. Our, our sweet daughters who, who were not with us. It's, right? This is, this is the sentiment, the crying out. But That woman I told you about, I'm so inspired by. Because she didn't stop praying. She didn't stop just at the why God and just at the honesty and the hurt and everything else. The person of faith finishes the prayer. So this is sort of my paraphrase, I think, if you will, of of that uh, Psalm 74. Which is, God, I hate all this evil. And where are you? But I cannot see what I cannot see. You are still wise and strong. And you have done amazing things. And you have made us a promise to make everything right in the end. So Lord, come quickly. See, this is how you finish that prayer. And we need to be the kinds of people with the presence of mind and the depth of spirit and the courageous faith and the resilient hope to say, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in this world that we hate and that is evil and we wonder why and we don't have a good answer. But we will hope in what Jesus has promised. We will hope in God. Habakkuk 3, 2 is, again, one of my favorite uh, passages in all of the scripture. It's the voice of the prophet and he basically spends the first two chapters of his letter, or his, yeah, his, his, his prophetic books, essentially complaining to God about what God has not done for him and for his generation. And then God kind of scolds him as he should, which is kind of a good thing. We don't have time for that now. But basically what he says at the end of all of that, he says, God, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is the cry of the contending prayer warrior who says, yeah, there's a lot that's not right, but God is still God. We don't know what we don't know, and I will seek him, and I will. Are you guys with with me on this? All right. 
One of the greatest books you're going to read on, on this topic is a book called Answering God by Eugene Peterson. It was written in the 80s. It's a phenomenal book. It's basically just a guide to praying the Psalms, which he argues, I think very convincingly, is a book of common prayer for the church or a way for you and I to learn how to pray through the everything, the highs and the lows of life as a community of faith. And in it, he writes about why our cultural imagination around prayer is so broken. His diagnosis, brace yourself, it's a little bit like punchy and hard-hitting. It's ignorance, intimidation, and laziness. He says that's why the contemporary sort of American church in the West has become so disinterested and unmotivated when it comes to prayer. And he's not exactly painting it in a positive light, but I promise you the book is so good. The diagnosis is a hard one to swallow, but the solution and the prognosis and the solution is just remarkable. So what he does is he equates sort of the state of affairs today, what he calls sort of our intimidation, ignorance, and uh, laziness around prayer. He equates it to Genesis chapter 26. Now, the context of Genesis chapter 26 is this. God made a covenant with Abraham, right? You guys know that story. And he promised to bless him and to make him into a great nation. And the purpose was for Abraham's family to enjoy God and to, like we often say around here, bless all of the families, all of the ethnos of the the world, the families of the earth through us, through the chosen people of God. So Abraham, in faith, he does what God tells him to do, which is to leave his hometown, the only place he's ever known. It's a place called Ur. And he's leaving to take possession of the land that God had promised him. And he has to go through this gnarly, really big desert in order to get there. And God is saying, trust me, I'm going to give you possession of this land that I'm promising you. And along the way, again, just desert. It's no water, no food, nothing. Which in an agrarian society means just keep walking. You're not done. You need to get to the water source, right? Now we just pipe the Colorado River to like 40 million people in the Southwest. It's not really working out for us, by the way. It's a bad idea. But back in those days, it was just wander through the desert, keep walking till you find water. But since God was blessing Abraham, he gave Abraham water, which means life, in the desert in the form of wells. He gave Abraham these wells, this unheard of miraculous blessing right in the middle of the desert. Think about that. Where there is no life, all of a sudden a wellspring of life is right there. Fast forward 75 years and Abraham's son Isaac comes back to where his father had been passing through to find that the Philistines had filled in his father's wealth. So Abraham had these wells, miraculous provision from God. Years later, Isaac, his son, comes back and says, what happened to these wells? The, the Philistines had filled them in. So imagine that miracle of life in the desert that represents God's promise to bless you. And then the sort of prevailing dominant culture of the day does not see any value in it and does not consider it sacred. So they destroy it by filling it in with debris. The prevailing dominant culture is saying, what do these wells have anything to offer? We're filling them in. They don't consider it sacred. So what do you, what do, you do if you're Isaac? Well, Isaac redug the wells. He redig, he redug the wells. I'm trying to get the tense right. Sometimes the tense is hard, Moses. It's like I can't speak still? Really? After all these years, I still can't do it. All right. So if you're Isaac, you redig the well. 
the miraculous provision of God that gave life in the desert would be redeemed. And this is Peterson's thesis for recovering the possibility and potential of the praying life. So, in the West, the prevailing dominant culture has not valued the miracle or understood the sacred power of connecting with God in prayer. And a lot of things have been thrown in. A lot of debris has filled up that well. So what do we do? We don't abandon it. We redig the well. Or in the words of Peterson, we cart off the debris so that what was so excellently done once will again be useful. So... When it comes to this conversation and this series on prayer, I don't have anything new to say to you. I really don't. Nothing that I say will be novel. To us, it might feel that way, but really, it's actually just ancient. It's ancient. And so throughout this series, we're going to sort of be clearing out the cultural debris so that the miracle of prayer that God gave us, the miracle of enjoying God in his presence will be accessible to you again. I'm convinced that that will truly give you life and I believe in what God has promised. So before we're done, I just wanna give you a little tiny tease of what's coming in the weeks to, to come. So I wanna just pull out a little bit of that cultural debris. Right? The things that sort of cloud our judgment and cause us to fail to see the miracle and the sacredness of prayer. Um, these are the things that sort of clog the well, the things that makes people look in and say, there's no life here. I'm going to keep walking until the next whatever river or stream. And I think the first one, which I, again, this is just a tease because like, I'm already running out of time. So uh, uh, just a, a little bit of a tease of what is to come. So th the first debris, if you will, that I think is like filling up the well and keeping us from seeing the sacredness and the holiness and the beauty of the life that we can find in prayer is this belief about that prayer is about like a cosmic genie who's here to sort of clear the way for my life plan. And um, I don't say this with any judgment um, at all, but I think that often when I talk with people about prayer, this is one of the assumptions that they've made, whether intentionally or unintentionally, whether conscious or subconscious. We kind of are expecting God to be like a cosmic genie, grant us three wishes, endorse, bless, clear the way for our life plan to go exactly like we want. And sometimes our life plan is good. And even then, God doesn't always give us what we ask for. But sometimes our life plan is the opposite of good. It's idolatrous and selfish. It's been shaped by entertainment culture. It's been shaped by other cultural scripts or narrative scripts in the world. Things like hedonism and individualism and all kinds of different forms of idolatry. So when he's not just doing that, when he's not just clearing the way for your life plan to be fulfilled, he's not being cruel to me. He's not being cruel to you. He's actually rescuing us from our foolish prayers. Because you getting everything you want, me getting everything I want in life would probably not be good for my soul. It's not good for my character. It'd probably end up being a disaster for me if I got everything that I wanted because the problem is that I'm not wise enough or holy enough or whatever to know what is ultimately good or bad for me. But if that's your imagination for prayer, like God is here to grant you some wishes and get what you want, you're going to wind up being very, very dissatisfied in prayer. And I think this is one of the main culprits why people are dissatisfied in their praying life is because they had this expectation on God that God knows is not good for you. And so in his wisdom and in his grace and because of his great love, he holds 
He holds that back because he loves you. Another thing um, that is sort of in the way is um, that we oftentimes think of prayer as like a way to be insulated from suffering and evil. Now, this one is far closer to the heart of God than the first one that I shared, but we need to sort of nuance this out a little bit. For example, um, Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, and deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. Also, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, God, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, would you please make that happen? I don't want to go through this grueling wrath, this judgment, this death. I don't want to experience. If this is your will, let this cup pass from me. He's saying, I know what I'm about to go through. I'd much rather be spared from it. This is an understandable prayer. This is a totally acceptable prayer. I pray like this all of the time. But the reality is in John chapter 16, we said this last week, in this world, Jesus promised us, in this world we will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So at times God is insulating you from things that are evil. Other times, though, he is actually there. He's interested more in empowering you to overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That's what he is interested in. He's interested in your formation. He's interested in your character. He's interested in his redemptive purposes in the world. So through the Spirit, we are carried along and empowered by God. A, a remarkable example of this, my friend Talia. You, if you've been around Riverbend, you probably know Talia. She's the sweetest, most radiant, amazing human being inside and out. Um, and recently she was diagnosed with cancer. She said, it's okay for me to share with you so that you will be praying. And we're praying for all kinds of things for, for, for Talia. She's going through this chemo, and she hasn't been sleeping well. She's in a ton of pain. She's got these meds that are supposed to help her, but they also uh, make her nauseous and stuff like that. So she's giving us all of these updates. And we're like, yeah, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. And what keeps coming back is, thanks for praying. I slept amazing last night. Thank you so much for praying. Like, I'm not as nauseous as I was before. And all indications are that she's going to crush and beat this cancer. And it, hopefully in a really short amount of time, she's going to be fully well and totally herself. But the other thing that's going on with Talia, which is so remarkable to me and I am so inspired by, is that she is radiating the peace of God. She's radiating just the hope of the return of Jesus. She's like so filled with the spirit that I'm not actually worried about her. Although I want the cancer to be gone and done away with, I'm not actually worried about her. Because I just see the peace of God over her that transcends her circumstances in a way that's so incredibly powerful. So she is not just being insulated from evil, although I do believe that God is answering some of those prayers for us. More than that, she is overcoming this natural evil with good. And I think God is very, very interested in that. You know, that, that scripture that's always been quoted, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the correct use of that scripture. It's not that everything that happens to you is good. It's not saying to Leah, oh, by the way, God caused this cancer. He wanted it for you. He willed it for you. It's, we're not saying that. What we're saying is that God can take all of this evil and through your spirit, because you are submitted to him and following after him and seeking him with all of your heart, he can and he will take it and he wants to use it for good. He's capable of doing that. He's going to do it. Watch him do it even. Watch him do it. 
This is what God wants to do. See, the purpose of prayer is not to insulate us from evil necessarily. The purpose of prayer is certainly not for God to just sort of endorse our life plan. The purpose of prayer is to be with him. It's to enjoy his divine hospitality. Remember that that scripture I read at the very beginning, Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who gets to enjoy God? Who gets to come and approach him? Who gets to be with him? It's the one with a clean heart, pure heart. And again, that's a reference, of course, to Jesus cleansing us and making us whole. But then in the end, it's it's, it's saying who's going to be the one who approaches God's throne? It's the one who seeks his face. See, like prayer is not a means to an end. Gosh, if I pray, I hope this happens for me. Prayer is the end. It's where we get to encounter and experience him. You get to live with him. You get to like know his presence. This is what you get when you pray. Um, He's not a means to an end. He is the end. I was praying with a woman in our church this week. Actually, my wife and I were. It was right in the middle of my preparation for this teaching. And I was just so struck and so blown away by what happened. So there's this woman, she's going through an incredible season of pain and suffering that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I can't talk about it. It needs to be private. But it was just shocking what this young woman in this season of her life is being asked to carry the burdens of. And she came to meet with us. And, you know, as is the case, when people are going through crisis, often people are looking for answers. I need an answer. What am I going to do about this? And what am I going to do about that? And so she was coming to us and She knew we were going to pray, but she was also asking for advice. And I found myself just kind of giving advice because, you know, when someone asks me what I think, I tell them what I think. But then I stop myself and I go, wait a second. I, advice is so cheap. Advice is so cheap. I I think there's a right thing to do here. I think there's scripture that speaks to that. And I think this is what it is, but you're going to get opinions from hundreds of people. I can tell you what I can do. Let's go seek the Lord together. And so we spent 45 or so minutes in prayer. And over the course of those 45 minutes, I saw something so amazing and beautiful happen. We didn't talk about what she was going to do, the decision she had to make. We didn't talk about any of that. But she said, I feel like my burden has been lifted and I feel that I am loved. Direct quote. So in, instead of operating in fear and just seeking after our answers. Instead, she's able to make these really hard decisions that she has to make, these circumstances that she can't change, that are just happening to her. She has to still walk through them, but she has the hope of God's love for her, and she feels like he is there with her, lifting those burdens. So God is a God who comes to us in our suffering and pain, and he is an intimate God of love. So regardless of what you're going through, I can't guarantee you that God's going to answer the prayer the the way that you want him to pray, but I can guarantee you that he will show up for you. I I, I know he will do that. I've seen it many times this week alone, and in my years I've seen it hundreds of times. God is here. He's going to show up for you. So if you find yourself feeling alone, if you find yourself feeling like, gosh, I don't even know where I I can find the strength to go another day. I just don't get what I'm going through. Trust me, I've been there before. I can even empathize with those deep questions. God wants to hear all of those honest prayers. But in the name of Jesus, I plead with you to just go to him and enjoy him. He's your God. He loves you. You guys with me? 
Seek his face. Psalm 24. And then finally, the prayer, purpose of prayer is to contend for an awakening to the gospel. This is something that's worthy of asking for. Is the coming kingdom of God. The center of the gospel of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount, which last year we taught through. And at the center of Matthew is chapter, or center of the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 6. And at the center of chapter 6 is Jesus teaching us to pray. And in the center of that prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the cry of the Jesus person, the follower of Jesus, is to say, God, would you bring your will and your reign and your authority and your peace and your love and your goodness, the things that you are overflowing and filled up with, would you bring that to here, like in our space, in our time, would you bring it here? This is the center of Jesus' vision for prayer for you and I in the here and now. God cares about your cold. I'll pray for it if you want me to. But we have to set our sights way, way higher than just that. We have to have more imagination for what God wants to do. There's this beautiful story. You can research it online. Um, I'm going to be talking a bit, about, more, bit more about it over the coming weeks. Um, but it's this uh, story about the Hebrides Revival. It's the 1940s and 50s in uh, the northern islands of Scotland. And there were these two bedridden sisters in their 80s. And they were grieved over the fact that they could no longer attend church. Their bodies wouldn't allow them to do that. And they were also deeply concerned about how secularized their community had become. And so the two of them started praying through the night on Tuesday nights that God would bring an awakening to the gospel and that people who have no interest in following after God presently would be drawn to him, confess sin, and come into the family of God. And so they just prayed for hours on end every Tuesday night for years. And then what happened from that was the spark of a Hebr what's called the Hebrides Revival where you all of a sudden, in the course of a couple of weekends, you had the bars that were normally filled with people drinking themselves sleepless to being completely vacated and everyone in the same church gathering shouting praise to King Jesus. And everyone, any history book you read on that, any article you read is going to point to those two old ladies totally unsexy in in the like the things of the right it's just like yeah they were in their beds at night praying till like kingdom come kingdom come there's another man by the name of uh daniel nash daniel nash was a failed pastor he was a pastor in upstate new york for several years and uh his people got sick of him so they voted him out, which is the thing that happens. Don't get any ideas, by the way. But it's the thing, it's the thing that happens. 
And so they said, dude, you're not a pastor anymore. They're like, find another job. And uh, part of the reason why he was a failed pastor is because he had this kind of heartbeat for a praying church that people were just tired and weren't willing to hear. And so as a failed pastor, he didn't know what to do, but he started praying. And he wound up linking up with a guy named Finney, Charles Finney. And if you know the history of uh, the Second Great Awakening, you're well aware that Charles Finney was this historic preacher who would go from town to town. And same thing, masses of people were trusting in Jesus, coming to faith in him. And a lot of what we would call like the Christianity in America was basically based out of this. And this guy, Daniel Nash, he, he was, again, nothing to write home about in terms of his like prowess and leadership and everything else. But everywhere he, everything he did was he would find out where Charles Finney was going next and then he'd go rent a tiny room in that city and rally a couple people in that city to fast and to pray in preparation for Charles Finney to come. And then this is his epitaph. You can find the, his, his tombstone. And it says, Pastor, laborer with Finney, and mighty in prayer. Says, this is what this dude is known for. And I've said this to you before, but this series is kind of being birthed out of this deep passion that I have, which is, I don't know how long you'll be with us. I don't know how much longer I have left on planet Earth, but I do know what I'm going to be doing with my life, which is to guide my friends, my brothers and sisters into deeper connection with Jesus. That's what I'm here for. And so if you call Riverbend your home, like you're going to grow tired of it perhaps, but I'm going to be hopefully guiding you to experience Jesus. And so here's how I want to close is just with an invitation to pray. So we're going to pray now, but I also want to invite you to um, start or restart or to grow your daily prayer rhythm. All right, that's this, west, this, that's this week's practice. Start, resume, or add, add to your daily prayer rhythm. No one I've met who's like really mighty in prayer. I'm thinking of Jan Basinius right now, Diane. No one who's like really in bat, like madly in love with God and mighty in prayer is like, you know what? Yeah, like, you know, when I'm on the bike, I kind of like, I talk to God a little bit. And that, that's my morning prayer rhythm. Like, no, it's like people who are like, no, it's like 4 a.m. I'm out of bed and I'm like, my Bible's open and I'm crying out. I'm not saying I want you there. I'm not even saying that's a good goal for your life. I'm just saying everyone who's mighty in prayer is addicted. Is like, this is what defines me as a human. And so I just want to call you into, into a deeper connection with the Lord this week. Start, resume, add to your daily prayer rhythm. Uh, here's how we do that. Um, we prepare our minds, our hearts, our space. We're going to talk much more about this as we go along, but I hope to demonstrate that for you here in a second. We also want to be careful that, that you're not forcing anything in your daily prayer rhythm 
Again, you, you see my excitement, and it's there. But I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that you force any kind of experience or attitude or whatever. You just go to the Lord in prayer. You show up and you be present. And then for this week, the, the practice is to pray through a psalm. To pray through a psalm. And again, this is Eugene's book, uh, Answering Prayer, is all about what it is to pray through a psalm. Here's, here's just the Cliff Notes version. As you pray the psalms, you read the words, meditate on what it means, see what rises to the surface for you, and to transpose those thoughts and those ideas into your prayer to God. Might be five minutes, might be half hour. All of that is up to you. Start or add to your prayer rhythm. Can we stand and pray together? Um, so for some of you, you're, you're just kind of a guest here, like Chua. Chua's our guest from San Diego. Thrilled you're here, brother. And so uh, you didn't have a lot of context for what you were walking into today, and then, uh, and then you, now you're here. And you're like, dang, okay, all right, life is defined by seeking God. All right, that's a thesis, that's a premise. Or maybe you're that person who has spent your life hearing all the prayer talks, and you're even like, oh, I know which verse he's going to quote next, and blah, 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 right? I can actually relate to that. I can feel that, like, oh, I've heard it all before. I, I, I can feel that. If that's you, zero judgment. All we want to do today is create a little bit of space and a little bit of time to call Jesus on his promise. God, you said you were a very present help in time of trouble. Jesus, you said that you will never leave us and that you'll be with us to the end of the age. That's what you said you were gonna do. So I'm here and I wanna be with you. So if you would just open your hands with me. Again, enter into this at whatever level you're comfortable with. Now we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. And this first step is to just simply notice where you're at. Tired, fatigued, exhausted, bored, or desperate, or hungry, or excited. Just notice where you're at. thank you that you are here and we ask you to come we ask you to come near to us I'm going to do something I'm just going to invite him to speak ask him to speak so Holy Spirit you speak over us your children your people 
notice that he is the answering God. What I mean by that is not that you all just heard audible words from God speaking to you. Maybe some of you did. But far more likely you're just being drawn in a little bit deeper into his presence beginning to feel just the warmth of his presence, just his affection. And now you are in this relationship too, and so I just encourage you to lean into that, to go towards him in that. our response. Shua is going to lead us in worship. This song you know, and I encourage those of you who are like in, uh, are ready to just sing aloud, sing out, sing praise. I know that's where my heart is right now. But also use this moment to just travel a bit deeper into God's presence today. Monday is coming, right around the corner. It's coming. You've got all kinds of responsibilities and duties and things you gotta do. I get that. This moment right here is for the taking. You can experience God. He wants to come near to you. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So we're gonna do that now as we respond and as we worship. Also, this is the moment where we come forward to receive the bread and the cup. So as you're ready, as a part of your response, just come come forward, grab the bread and the cup, and then um, go back to your seat. We'll take it together as a church here in a minute. And then if you're feeling like, dude, I love what you're saying, or I want to love what you're saying, but I just am not there right now, and I need help. We have people in the back at the praying hands that would love to pray over you, pray for you. Sometimes we just need to be carried there, and that's okay. There's zero shame or judgment about that either. Just come and receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Let's uh, respond to our king, huh? Let's do it.